Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn, uh, not to the book of Acts, but to uh, Psalm 10. Uh, the 10th Psalm is where we will uh, be hanging out this morning. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, so it'll be on the screen, but if you don't own a Bible, we have some that you could have. Uh, they're back in the back by the giving tables, or if you need a larger print, there's some out in the foyer uh, at the, the two tables out there. So feel free to grab one of those. It is our gift uh, to you. And also, while you're flipping to Psalm 10, I kind of tell you a little bit of what we're going to do this summer as far as what our Sunday mornings look like. Uh, we understand that, uh, especially like with weeks like the past couple weeks, with just as Luke prayed through the, you know, just the evilness of our world, then you may have questions at times or struggles at times. So this summer, we're going to do something a little different. It's not going to be the full sermons that we preach, but we're going to do something called Ask the Pastor. Uh, and so uh, if there's any questions that you have, whether it's you know, doctrinal things, or it could be something like practical wisdom. Like if there are things that you struggle with or that you want us to try to tackle. Now we understand if there's a, if there's an age old topic uh, that uh, people way smarter than me and Luke have not come to the understanding. We can't give you the, the, the answer, the black and white truth anyway. But if you, if you, uh, so uh, next week, uh, or this, we'll start that hopefully next week. Uh, the way we're going to do it is, is we're going to uh, create a little link on our website for you to be able to submit your questions to. It'll be anonymous. We won't put your name out, that kind of deal. But if there's something that you're interested in for us to kind of tackle throughout the summer, just send it to us, uh, and hopefully we'll get some of those. But uh, anyway, Psalm chapter 10. Uh, so, uh, you know, here at Cross Point, uh, definitely from the pulpit, uh, from the stage, uh, we we do our best to be authentic as we can, right? Like we like we... So uh, when things are tough, we're not going to put on a mask and just act like uh, we got everything figured out, like we don't have emotions and, and things like that. And I'm thankful for the book of Psalms because it kind of gives us our license to do that, right? Like we don't, we don't have to put on spiritual makeup and act like nothing's wrong. Like uh, when you go through the book of Psalms, there are times that David was just like, we're going to read it this morning, uh, of like, God, where, where, where are you at at this moment? Uh, and so... Uh, you know, we, we exist here at Cross Point. We exist for the glory, to glorify God. And the way that we do that is we commit ourselves to God's word, God's people, and God's mission. And, and when I think about committing ourselves to God's word, it is the best medicine uh, for our doubt. It is the best medicine for our confusion. Uh, it is the best medicine for us to be able to go to and take whenever our souls hurt, whenever our spirit is weak. It is the best place for us to go. The book of Psalms, it's, it literally encapsulates every human emotion that we could deal with, uh, like, and just read through them. And, 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 and the reality is, is that the word of God, the reason why we have to, as, as Christians, we have to commit ourselves to the word of God is because it is more up to date and relevant than any news article or book that could be put out right now. Uh, it, is, it has the everlasting words of God that, that do not perish, they do not fade away. And when we go to the book of Psalms, definitely Psalm 10, that the Lord just kind of stopped me in my tracks this week. Like, it's almost as if it was written after Tuesday of this week. Uh, and so uh, it is more up to date than anywhere, any news article new, or self-help coach book. You know, like it is up to date and it's what we need to go to. Let's just read Psalm chapter 10. I'm gonna read the entire Psalm. Uh, and just do you resonate with the first verse? It says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? 
Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Pause for a moment. This is the same David that wrote later on that he is a very present help in trouble. Isn't it crazy about the Christian life that sometimes God, he's the very present help that we know that he's there, but there's other times it's like he's not present at all and we we have to navigate that. And in the book of Psalms teaches us how to navigate that. It it teaches us how to process those emotions, those feelings that when we do, we feel like God is so far away. Let's keep reading. Verse two, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul and the one greedy of gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on, on, are on high and out of his sight. As for all of his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He, he lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, for not, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, which is grief, that you may take it into your hands to help uh, to, to you the helpless commit himself You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is the king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. May the Lord... Bless the reading of his word. The verse one, we've all felt that before. This Wednesday morning after hearing of the, the news in Texas on Tuesday and of in Buffalo a couple weeks ago, uh, with our new routine uh, with, you know, with three, everything's changing with three. Uh, all good, I love having three kids, but, and so some of our routines is because Ashley's up feeding at night, I'm the one that gets up early in the morning and gets the girls dressed and breakfast or, you know, cereal and all that jazz. Uh, but man, Wednesday morning, I made it a little bit slower, right? When I went into my girls' room, they got bunk beds. Uh, and so I usually I go in there and put cereal down and let them watch TV or whatever, slow morning. Well, Wednesday morning, I didn't do that. I got in Emma's bunk on the bottom and made sure both girls got into bed with me just because I needed just a I needed to love on my girls, right, after, after the news of Tuesday. I just needed to kind of be there in that moment. And I remember asking this question, man, what's going on here? Like, what is the world in which we like? What is going on here? 
Like, is this the world? I wind up, you know, this is the world that my kids are going to have to grow up in. And I'm sure we've all been there before when David in Psalm 10, who just actually, some people say Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 could be just one thing written because it's really the, really when you get to at the end of chapter or Psalm 9, David's like, on a high note, then evidently God doesn't necessarily come through for him. And he starts with 10, like, where are you at, God? Where are you at in this moment? And let's be honest, we've all felt that before. And as a believer, it's like, God, why are you so, have you turned your eye? Do you not see what's going on in the United States of America right now? Where are you at? You feel so distant. What is going on here? And the reality is, for, for, we don't have to walk real far from people asking that question of, you know, what's going on in this world? Who's in charge, or why is it the way that it is? Why do people walk into elementary schools and shoot them up? Or why do people walk into grocery stores? Why is it the way that it is? God, do you not see what's going on? Do you not understand the fear that we have of, of raising kids in this culture? Like, like, where are you? Why is life this way? And here's the Here's the thing, because believers and unbelievers are all wrestling with that question. Why is it this way? And here's a principle for you. When we try to unscramble the world without God at the center of it, we can never make sense of it. Because everybody's at, why, why is it, it's, it's, it's the gun's fault, or it's this fault. Why is it this way? It's trying, but we cannot unscramble this, this complexity, nastiness of this place called earth and life without doing it through God being at the center. In the Psalm chapter 10, there's really two main categories or two big sections. The first section is from verses really three through 11. So on, on top of this question where David is asking God, why, have you, why are you so far away? Why why? Do, why why can't I see you in times of trouble? He, he, he spends really three through 11 given the picture of man without God. And then he spends from 12 to 18, the, really the God who is there. So this morning, uh, as, as we begin to ask the question, what's going on here? Not that I can give you every answer of what's going on, but I want to look to God's word and understand a little bit about what's going on and where we are. First, if you're taking notes, the first thing that we see is what, what man is and what the earth is, the world is, with man without God. So in verse two, it says, so this is the first petition. It says, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be called in their schemes that they have devised. And then in verse three, he begins to describe this, this arrogant this wicked. Matter of fact, look at verse two, it says, in arrogance, and verse three, the wicked, uh, 3b, the greedy, and verse four, in the pride of his face. You see, th this is man without God. It's a man without God, uh, the man who has rejected God as sovereign Lord. We see in scripture here that first of all, man without God, the first thing that he does, the way that he he displays his rejection of God is that he rejects all humility. 
which literally means that he rejects the idea of saying, God is God and I am man, I'm in need of him. So Justin, pride's not that big of a big deal. We're talking about pride right now. How is this where we are in our world? Well, Proverbs chapter 11, Proverbs 11, verse two says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. That whenever pride is begun, whenever man refuses to see God as God and our need of him, what happens, what comes next is, is disgrace. What happens next is turmoil and nastiness. What happens next is man, if he is the chief end of all things and he's going to destroy everything. In verses three through five, David tells us how man displays his rejection of humility. First of all, he boasts in the desires of his soul. Look at verse 3a. For the wicked boasts in the desires of his soul. When man chooses to reject God and and he rejects humility, the way he'll display it, he'll begin to boasting in the desires of his flesh or of his soul. He will begin to boast in his wickedness. Huh? Do we see that today? That my, my sin is what I begin to boast. My sin begins to be what I put on display. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what's thrown in front of everything. So what happens is when man rejects humility, he will begin to display that rejection of humility by boasting in the desire of his soul. That's what 3A tells me. Not only that, but 3B says the greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. And so another way the man displays his rejection of humility, not only does he boast in the desires of his wickedness, but he'll revile and he'll reject the Lord. We see that in four. It says the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. He rejects when he rejects humility, what we'll begin to see, he'll begin to display by boasting his desires of his souls, the cravings of his flesh. And he'll revile and he'll reject the Lord. And thirdly, he'll reject his law. Like at 5b, it says, your judgments are on high out of his sight. When man rejects God as creator, God as sovereign, he will begin to boast in his sinfulness and his desires. He will reject, he'll reject God as God. We see that. He will revile it. But what he'll say is, man, what God's law said some thousands of years ago has nothing to do with my life today. Who are you, God, to tell me how to live my life? Who is this old scripture that's written some thousands of years ago by some dudes in the Middle East? How can it tell me what's right and what's wrong in my life today? The word of God begins to lose its stance in a man's life who rejects humility. So a man without God, he rejects humility Secondly, he embraces prosperity. Look at verse five. His ways prosper at times. Said so Justin, prosperity is not a bad thing. It isn't. Matter of fact, if you read the you read the Bible, definitely the Old Testament, but even in some of the New Testament, a lot of the friends of God were very wealthy people, right? It's the it's whenever prosperity becomes the end in itself. We understand Scripture teaches us that it, it becomes an issue. 
And what we see whenever man rejects, or man without God, is he'll reject humility. Then the next step, it really transpires, that he embraces prosperity as in, I'm going to chase, everything is mine, I'm chasing after it, it doesn't matter the casualties. It doesn't matter what happens because it is mine, it's chasing after more, and the more he chases, the more man sees the gift and not the giver. He moves further and further away from God the more he chases down. I think Psalm 49 will give us a better picture of of what David is writing here. It's going to come on the screen. You don't have to flip there. But Psalm 49, I'll start reading in verse uh, 5. It says, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. Here it is, verse six. Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. That's the picture that we're seeing in Psalm 10 of this embracing prosperity, of of, of really cheating to get. Get what's theirs. Um, Verse seven, truly no man can ransom another and give to God the price for his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die and the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Now jump down to verse 16. It says, be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding. So a man with all his things, without understanding of that thing, is like a beast that perishes. That's the picture that we get back to in Psalm 10 of, of embracing prosperity. They're like a beast that perishes. Get in their way and they will destroy you. And even the understanding, that's what Psalm uh, 49 says, even the understanding that you can't take it with you when you go, it doesn't even register because they've rejected the idea of God and everything else. And so they just, their life is consumed with getting more, more power, more money, more things. Got to keep moving forward. What we see is that the, their things that they gain with their hands begins to hold them instead of them holding it. So a man without God rejects humility and embraces prosperity, but thirdly, it misplaces security. Look at verse six. Look at this man who's rejected God. He's rejected humility. He's doing everything he can to build up his kingdom. And look at what he says in verse six. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Here's this man who is, he's so moved and so calloused, if you will. He's rejected God. He's rejected humility. He's, he's done whatever he can to gain it. And he gains it and says, I will never be touched. I can't be shaken. I can never, I will never face adversity. How do you reconcile that when your nose bleeds then? Right? Like 
He's so delusional because he's without God that he now has this false sense of security. He misplaces and says, I won't be shaken. I'll always be happy and never had adversity. I got to move forward. And fourthly, not only does he reject humility and embrace prosperity and misplace his security, but fourthly, he practices cruelty from his mouth to his actions. This is man without God. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. And I guess David wanted to be able to even explain how more nasty his mouth was. So he said, under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Not only the words coming out of his mouth, but even what's under his tongue is mischief and iniquity. He says vile things. But not only in his words, but in his actions, this is premeditated cruelty, and this is relevant in our world. Let's read it again, verse eight. He sits in an ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpers are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face, and he will never see what's going on because he's denied God altogether. There's no recompense for my life that I'm living. There's nothing that I have to face. God is not going to hold me accountable for my life. This is what's going on in this man's, so much so that he practices this cruelty in the open. Verse 12 and 13 serve as a transition. It says, arise, O Lord. He goes through the petition again. So he, he cried out honestly before the Lord. He asked God to catch them in their schemes. Then he just begins to describe man. And then in 12, he petitions again. He says, arise, O Lord. God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say, in his heart you will not call to account. Why does the wicked, why does he keep gaining more and more? Why do you allow him to keep saying he's not going to be held accountable for his decisions and his words and, and renouncing or denying you? But check out, just, I just want to read this real quick. Look at verse 14. He says, I'm not, I'm not getting to a point, I'm going to show you a principle. He says, but you do see for you know the mischief and the vexation or the troubles. Here's, here's, a, here's just a principle for you. Remember the beginning of this psalm? God, why are you so far away? Why are you not seeing what's going on? And then halfway through his, his prayer, he says, but you do see? And this is what I wrote down as a principle. When we process our emotions in his presence through prayer, we will be reminded of his presence, his power, and his promise. That's exactly what we're seeing going on in Psalm 10. He starts this thing out going, God, where are you? He's just processing these through prayer in the presence of his heavenly father. And then he's reminded, wait, no, God, you are here. And you are still seated on your throne in power. And you will save the needy. And you will bring justice to be served. It didn't start that way. He started not being able to, he started whenever the, 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 the haze and the fog was still in the room. But as he navigated through the presence of God, through the fog, through the haze, eventually he was like, you know what? He does see what's going on. Right? You, you follow me? So 
Uh, so if you're taking number two, the second main point is that, that there, there's, the, there's the picture of man without God. And then the good news this morning, the second part of this psalm is that there's a God who is there. The first thing that we see about the God who is there is that he sees their distress. Look at verse 14. He says, but you do see and you have noted mischief and vexation. Vexation uh, literally means a state of being annoyed, frustrated, or worried. Because I, I never, I didn't know what that word meant. I had to Google that thing, vexation. I don't know if I'm saying it right. But, it, but it's this constant state of being annoyed and frustrated and worried. And I would say, we, we, we know, we can, we can sympathize with that. And, and what David cries out says, you, you do see my distress. You do see my suffering. You do see my frustration with the world that I'm living in. You do see that we're frustrated with the, the culture where we are today. You see that. And look what he says. Not only does he see it, but it says that you may take it into your hands. Man, what a, what a beautiful picture of a God who is there. We also read in Scripture that he keeps, keeps record of our tossings. Right? What that means is, is that God takes note of what keeps us up at night. And we understand that one day he's going to wipe away every tear. He sees and it says that so that he could take it in his hand. Listen to me, child of God. This is, literally just thought about this. The question isn't, will he not take your worry and your frustration in his hand? The question is, will you give it into his hand? Like that's, that's the question. Will you, will you let go of it enough to actually go, God, here, I'm going to give it and I'm going to put it in your hands. I'm going to let you, because he, he sees, listen, he's a God who sees. He sees, our, he sees our distress. He sees our vexation. He sees all of these things. He sees their distress, but the God who is there also settles all accounts, right? We, Tuesday morning, we were probably, I mean, Tuesday afternoon, we were ready for vengeance, right? Let's, let's pay it back. But I'm thankful scripture teaches us that the Lord is an avenger. He's the one who will bring vengeance because he settles all accounts. What does, what does he say in verse 13? Why does the wicked say you will never, you will not call the, to the account? Since so to the helpless, you, sorry, where am I? He says, you will not call these things to account, but look at verse 15. It says, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Look, call his wickedness to account. God always settles his books. Let me remind you of that. No matter how crazy this world is, God leaves no loose ends. Vengeance is the Lord's. He see, listen to me. There are some things that we have to wait to heaven for things to be eradicated. Oh, but they will be. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the great white throne judgment. It says where the sea gives up its dead, that those who had been in hell and those who 
every man who had ever lived, the woman who ever lived and died was stand before God and each be judged. And I wrote this down, listen to me. Every individual must stand before God whether you believe in him or not. God is a God who is there and he will settle every account. Thirdly, not only does he see their distress and settle all accounts, but thirdly, he sits on his throne. So it says in verse 16, the Lord is the king forever and ever. I'm a big Randy Travis fan, so every time I see the words forever and, for, forever and ever, I go, amen. <laughs> but the king reigns on his throne forever and ever. Hey, I know I say that a lot. I remind you that Jesus is still on his throne, but it's news worth telling every day. Because this world at times is just heavy and it's like, God, where are you? And he's exactly where he's always been, seated on his throne. He's not running around going, I wasn't expecting this. Right, remember in the book of Acts and in Acts chapter four, when the apostles and the church went and prayed, they prayed to God, prayed to Christ and, 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 they, and, they, uh, and they quoted an Old Testament Psalm of whenever the, the world is trying to plot and plan against the, the, the king that the, the, the father has set. It says, he who sits in heaven laughs. As in, he's, he's exactly where he's always been. That Christ Jesus today is at the right hand of the Father. And things don't happen and he goes, all right, I wasn't expecting that. Or I didn't see that coming. Or he doesn't frazzle going, all right, we got to come up with some kind of plan. No, he is sovereignly sitting on his throne. He reigns as kings forever. And even though nations perish from this land, he remains on his throne. Not only does he sit on his throne, but lastly, he saves the needy. 17, 8 says, O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike no more. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture from the same throne from the same place, he offers strength for the needy and crushes the proud. What did we read last week with Stephen that the eyes of the Lord are on? He will look to the one who is humble. So why is the world the way that it is? Because man without God rejects humility, embraces prosperity, and misplaces security and practices cruelty. How do we make sense of it? If God sees the hurting, he will settle all the counts of all men. He sits on his throne and he saves the needy. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I know we're all, all hurt and distressed and 
have probably cried out, come Lord Jesus, more the past little while than we have before. But even whatever you came in with this morning, God sees you. And he sees you so that he could take whatever you came in here with so he could take it in his hand. I want to remind you that even though you're an image bearer, you were not created to be God. You are not designed to, to carry the burdens of this thing called life. Your shoulders are not strong enough. Your will is not powerful enough. Your resolve is not lengthy enough. But the hands of the one who created you sticks his hands out and says, I can take it from you. What are you carrying this morning? What's heavy? You lay it over into his hands question isn't is his hands open it's what we let go church what the world needs to see right now is not a church who has all the right answers but a church who hurts with the hurt who suffers with the suffering but knows that Jesus is still Lord and sitting on his throne. The evil we see in the evil man in Psalm 10 says, I will not be shaken. I will not face adversity. The Christian says, listen to me, there are things that shake me hard. There's a lot of adversity that I walk through, but even so I'm more than a conqueror in Christ, I have hope in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And because of that hope, we hurt, we bleed. We have scars. I hope that there is hope to be had. Maybe you're in here this morning and all this stuff about hope and purpose and life and you're like, now I want to tell you that you're going to stand before your creator whether you believe in him or not and he closes all accounts but here's the good news in Psalm 49 he talked about who can who can pay a price to the Lord to ransom somebody's life did y'all see the gospel on that who 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 can who can pay God enough money to spare their life from the pit? The answer to that is the Son of God paid his own life. He was nailed to a cross, became sin. How do you even become sin? I know how to sin, but how do you become sin, right? 
What that means is that God the Father treated God the Son as if he was ever, every sin that ever has been committed or will be committed. It says, so that we become the righteousness of God and then what that means is, is that God the Father treated God the Son as if he was every sin that will be, has ever been committed and will be committed so that he can treat me and you as if we have never sinned at all. Like the picture of Psalm 10 of evilness, of sinfulness, of nastiness, that even that man can be forgiven by the grace of Jesus. Will you, will you place your faith in Christ this morning? It's easy. You don't have to come to God and go, all right, God, I've got two peppermints and a phone. Try to bargain or barter with him. You come as Luke prayed earlier, Lord, I come as a beggar in need of you, in need of your grace. I understand a part, man without God is headed to a destruction of life on this side and that side of eternity. But that little preacher man told me that if I just ask, you will save me. And he will. Will you trust in the Lord this morning? If you need to use the front up here as a place to pray, you can do that to lay things down into his hands. I'll be standing down front as well. Luke could be in the back and, and Ryan is, yeah, he'll be on this side, Luke could be on that side. If you just need to talk and if you don't feel comfortable talking to a dude, I can connect you with a lady. We got plenty around here that will pray with you. Anyway, let's pray. After I pray, you can stand and let's move as the Lord leads. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your everlasting, unchanging word that is more relevant today than anything else we could go to. I think it's unchanging. It's alive. That it discerns the, the thoughts of the heart and the mind. God, I don't know what's going on in every heart and mind today, but God, I know your word is powerful enough to speak to it. So God, I pray that you've done so. God, if there's anyone in there under the sound of my voice or they're in this room or online, God, that you will, you will draw them to yourself and see very vividly what life is without you. But at the same, uh, t- same time, turn their eyes to the God who's there who will save the needy. To the man or the woman who comes to Jesus says, I need you, Jesus, you will save your eye, you see, you will look upon the humble and the contrite and those who tremble at your word. So God, we thank you for this awesome reminder. God, we do pray for our country like Luke prayed. Our hearts hurt. Oh, but God, allow us to see your presence. Feel your power and trust your promises. In Christ's name, amen. You can stand as the Lord leads. You can move.